from 1 John chapter 3. If you picked up a Bible on the way in, you can find it on page 987, and it's also going to appear on the screen behind me. So 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. That is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not know what to do is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his love for us when we ought to lie down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe that the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know by the spirit he gave us. Thanks. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Happy Mother's Day. Uh, to all the mums and all those people who have mums, I hope you're making their day extra special this morning uh, because it is a way of saying, you know, thank you for all the things you've done to us to recognise the great love mums have. So I have a few questions this morning for you all. Have a think about these questions. What do you call a person who speaks and no one listens? Mum. She speaks. Mums, you know this, don't you? Uh, what do you call a person who fixes every medical problem with drink more water and have an early night? Mums. 
what do you call a person who can open a block of chocolate in the house in the middle of the night and no one else can hear it? <sighs> Not in my house. What do you call a person who puts a comment on every Facebook post with embarrassing things about you? <laughs> Mums, if you're my Facebook friend, you know my mum. <laughs> what do you give a person who spends hour giving la uh, in labour, giving birth to someone, and soon forgets about it because it's all relevant to the next 20 years of pain <laughs> raising that child? <laughs> Mums. Mums are special. And it's a great day to celebrate what mum's doing and what God has given us in mums because God has gifted us with mums. Mums, God's gifted mums with uh, just that special ability to raise our children, a special ability to love. We love our mums. Uh, we thank God for that. Today, if you picked up in that reading, we are talking about love today. Uh, and it's a love that, you know, we can say is what we experience in a family, in a church family. But the context he's talking about in, in John is talking about this love that we experience as a child of God. And this love uh, has all amazing different aspects to it. We come across very gifted people uh, who are good at loving. Uh, but it also has its challenges too, just like a real family, being in God's family. So love uh, has a lot of different relational twists to it and what it's like. So in that verse that we had um, uh, read for us in verse 11, this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Uh, this is how you know, John gets into this section. It's what you heard from the beginning. You kind of go, where did we hear that from that beginning? John knows because he's got a mum too. You heard it from your mum, didn't you? You should love one another. You know, to your kids, your, your brothers and sisters, love one another. It's more of a command and you know, this is what we should be doing. But John's going, it even goes back further than that. Even God said, you should love one another. Jesus says, love one another. So this message of love, it's not a new message, but it's a message we all need to keep hearing because it's not an easy thing to do, is it? To keep loving, to keep living in that love in different contexts. See, what John is uh, showing us, that, that love looks differently as a Christian, as a, somebody in God's family, somebody who believes in Jesus, trusts in Jesus. Uh, last week he showed that uh, we're taking out of the, the world of darkness into the world of light, into God's family, and we experience that love of God. But what does that look like? We're still here on earth. We're still battling this daily grind, this daily life. What does this love look like in different contexts? Because he's going to show us what this love looks like in relationship with the world, because God saved us from the world, but we still live in the world. It's so hard. In relation to uh, our brothers and sisters here, our church family. And what does love look like in relationship with God himself? What does that look like? See, love goes deep. And John wants to flesh this out for us this morning to help us understand what real love looks like in a relationship with God, with others and the world. The first bit he's going to look at is a relationship uh, we have with the world from verse 12, where he says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the, the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So actually, when it comes to love in this world, he says, don't be surprised. Uh, uh, don't be like Cain, he says. 
See, he goes back even to the first children. See, John's got, rela- got connections with mums and uh, with children. He knows what siblings are like. Even to go back to the first children, Cain and Abel, uh, Adam and Eve's first children in Genesis, where that we hear the story or read the story about how Abel was uh, giving worship to God and he bringing his best and his first and he's uh, make a sacrifice to God and God was pleased with him and said he was righteous. Where Cain, on the other hand, was not giving his first and his best. He was just making some sort of sacrifice to God. Just, yeah, thanks God, I know you're there. Um, but half-hearted, it would seem. Uh, and then God, God said, look, your brother's doing the righteous thing. You know, learn from him. But Cain, instead of learning from him and... Uh, Taking God seriously, he killed his brother Abel. It's murder in the first generation after Adam and Eve. So John says, don't be like Cain. Now, it's interesting how he's building this picture. If you're here last week, you'd be familiar with this diagram we put up. Uh, I'm not big on diagrams, but this one seemed to be helpful for people. But you can see how the language that he used in chapter 1, if you are here last week, was there's this world of darkness, uh, it's where man lives, but it's a world of death, it's where we're deceived, and it's separation from God. And there's this world of light. Jesus is the light. So God's in the light. There, there's life, there's truth, there's fellowship with God in this world. And it's not like you transition on a bit here and a bit there. He says, No, Jesus saved you from darkness and he's brought you into light. It's a new kingdom. And we see what he's talking about uh, with Cain. Don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one. It's very clear what kingdom he's living in. He's living in the darkness. He belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. He's firmly in the darkness because of his death. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, because he's on the side of death, and his brothers were righteous. It's like saying, these two worlds are very different. There's Cain and there's actually Cain killed Abel. Because he was in the other world and he didn't like him. So what does that mean for us then? Here's a story from Genesis going, don't be like Cain. Is it don't be a murderer? Which we all go, yeah, we don't want that. Or is it more than that? Don't be in that kingdom, but be in the light. Be in God's kingdom. What does that mean for us then? When he, uh, as he fleshes that out a bit further. He goes on um, to say, do not be surprised, my brothers... If the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anybody who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Again, he's saying, look, there's two kingdoms going on here. There's the kingdom of the evil one, of darkness, and the kingdom of light with God himself, with Jesus. He says, don't be surprised then. If you're living in the light, and remember, he's writing to a church. He's writing to believers. Uh, This is a letter to encourage the church. So he says, as a church, as people who believe in Jesus, you are in the light. You are there because of what Jesus has done. So don't be surprised then. Just like Cain killed Abel, don't be surprised if darkness, if the world hates you. He's not saying the world is going to hate you all the time. But don't be surprised if it does. Because it's very different worlds. Very different worlds, he, he says. Uh, and he, he makes sure it's clear. You know you're on the side of the light. If you've got that love, if you've got the love of your brother, you know, even if you hate, uh, you're a murderer 
and you haven't got eternal life. You're in darkness. So if you've got a problem of hate, if you bear a grudge, if you find it hard to love, to give yourself, give yourself sacrificially, that extra love, he says, are you in this world of darkness? No, make sure you're in the world of light because that's where Jesus has saved you to be. He says, there's two worlds. You can't have a foot in both camps. You can't say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, and you know, I'm a good person, but also live in darkness, live in this world and say, look, but I don't like what that guy's doing. I don't like you know, just holding a grudge and hating things. He says, you can't have a foot in both camps. You can't be like a dual citizen. I mean, it was interesting this week about the whole dual citizen thing uh, come up with the politicians again. They still don't get it, where more politicians went to the Supreme Court to get their ruling. Can I serve as a politician if I've got dual citizenship? A citizenship of Australia and a citizenship of another country. And again, the High Court judges unanimously said, no, you can't have both. You can't be dual citizens. The law is the law. It's non-negotiable. You've got to pledge your allegiance. You've got to be committed to one. So the very next question uh, the media had was for both political parties then, well, we're a multicultural country. Aren't we going to change the laws and get rid of this? Because this is a bit of a joke. We're a laughing stock. Let's change the laws. I was very interested in the replies of both political parties, the Liberal and the Labor Party, because they both said, no, we've got no plans to change our constitution because if we have people serving our country, we want people dedicated to Australia. Not dedicated, you know, I've got this foot in Australia and this foot in another country. We want people dedicated to Australia. Now, in a sense, this is what John's saying with this. There's two worlds, there's light and darkness, there's one of love and there's one of hate and, and, and murder. He says, which one are you in? Because if you think you can live as a Christian yet live a life that's you know, hard on everybody else and not loving, he says, you're kidding yourself. You can't have a foot in both worlds. You're either on God's side and living in, in his world, or living as the world does, world of hate. You can't have the two. Then he goes on to say, don't be, don't be surprised then if the world hates you because of that. It's like Cain hated his righteous brother Abel. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. I, was, um, I met a guy uh, a little while ago from an Egyptian background, uh, and he was a young guy. He had a tattoo of a cross on his wrist. He was a bit of a hipster kind of guy. And I thought, well, you know, maybe this is something, you know, everybody's getting tattoos these days. What's the story behind it? So I asked him, and he says, oh, no, this is part of our Egyptian heritage, that uh, Christians living in a Muslim country would put a little cross tattoo on his wrist uh, just to show, hey, I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a regular person. I'm actually a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And they had the tattoo as a sign public sign without even using words that I'm a Christian, I live in God's kingdom, in God's world. Uh, it surprised me then as I read uh, in January this year that there was an attack in Egypt where a car pulled up to a group of three men and the men uh, in the car had guns and they said to the, the three men on the side of the road, uh, you know, what's your name? And the first guy, um, his name was Bossum uh, and he goes, oh, my name's Bossom, which is not uh, a Muslim name. Uh, so they said, show us your wrists. Lift his wrists, and they saw a cross on his wrist. They said to the other two guys, one guy had a Muslim name, the other guy had a Muslim name, uh, asked them to show, show their wrists as well. Um, the Muslim guy uh, obviously didn't have a cross. The other Christian guy had a cross uh, a bit fainter, a bit further up the wrist, and he sort of quick flick, and they missed it. 
So they asked the two guys to go away and leave the guy with the cross, Bossum, uh, there. And, um, and they, they didn't want to leave their mate. So they started shooting at their feet to make them run away. And as they ran away, shot Bossum in the head. Because of his name, because of his cross, he identified himself as a Christian. What John's saying is like, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if the world rejects you. Because you come from something very different. And you kind of go, well, aren't we, doesn't that make us more thankful? We don't live in a country that persecutes uh, Christians like that. In Australia, you know, we don't have to face that. This is so much nicer. You know, we'll pray for our brothers, but we're thankful that we're safe. But it's also interesting what's going on uh, with Israel Folau. This is an Australian guy, um, plays rugby union and uh, plays for Australia. Most commentators believe or put him up as Australia's best player. But he started making comments uh, about his faith and that there's heaven, hell and judgment. And he's pushed a few buttons and he has hit the press. If you're anything into, into sports reviews and media, uh, they've come out and hit him really hard. Not only calling for him to be rebuked, but calling for him uh, to be sacked uh, from the Australian team that's sponsored by Qantas uh, and, and, you know, other, other things that uh, he speaks against. But he's sacked from the Australian team, sacked from his own team, in fact, delisted from playing uh, rugby union for Australia because of his comments about his faith. Now, that sort of stuff's even happening here. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if the world hates you, he's saying. It's changing. And even for us, I'm not saying that we compare with some of these stories, but even we've experienced this to some extent. I'm not sure whether you're aware if you're a Facebook uh, user, but uh, we have been doing a bit of advertising on Facebook, advertising some pretty radical things like Playgroup that's been on. Uh, Our advertising account got cancelled because of uh, offensive content. (laughs) Uh, That's the only reason they cancel it. It's like, why? Why are you cancelling? And no reason given. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. It's like, who doesn't like us? Particularly, who doesn't like the playgroup? But somebody doesn't like us. Paul's saying, uh, John's saying, don't be surprised. We live in a different world. Don't be surprised. It's not going to be persecution all the time. As soon as you walk out the door, something bad's going to happen. But if it does happen, remember, you're living in a different world. You're living in God's kingdom, not the rest of the world. Don't be surprised. It's no surprise for John, who's lived through Jesus coming, who lived the perfect love, who helped people wherever he could, was then rejected and killed and was crucified in this world. Don't be surprised. John lived through the time of Nero, uh, the, the Roman emperor who actively hunted down Christians to string them up on poles and do public burnings to light up his, his parties. See, John, it was happening back then. It's going to be happening in 2,000 years now, he says. Don't be surprised because the worlds are so different. What about this love in relationship with each other? See, uh, this love is is hard to put into practice, but what does it look like when we come into this circle, into the circle of a church? Because it's going to say, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now, this is really significant. It's not just a historical fact. Jesus died on the cross. We've been singing about it all morning. He died on the cross so that we might have life, but he laid down his life for us for you and me. 
That's not just a bit of knowledge, a bit of history, something we might believe in that really happened, but something for us that we experience. And this experience is what brings us into this new world. So it's not like, hey, you ought to lay down your lives for others. If you want to look like a Christian, lay down your lives for others and then we'll call you a Christian. He says, no, because Jesus laid down his life for us. He's put us in the new world, God's world, that, then, that now we can uh, live it out, that we ought to live as ones in God's world. And then he goes on to say what it looks like, a real practical example. If anyone has material possessions, he says, uh, and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. This then is how we know that, the, that we belong to the truth. Now this is a great picture of church, isn't it? Great picture of Southside. This is how we know we belong to God's family. We're in God's world, in God's kingdom, because we see these not just words of love and we sing nice, fuzzy, warm love, uh, songs of love and expressions of love, but we see put into action. This is what I love about being at Southside. I've seen many things, many things where this is uh, played out. In, um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, I see many places where this is played out. With, I love hearing about people being, I don't love hearing about people being unwell, but when they're unwell, hearing about how they've been overwhelmed by how many people have been cooking meals for them, how they feel loved and cared for. Now often, that doesn't happen out of the, the office, putting the word out, hey, somebody's cook, give us meals, but it's their friends, it's the church communities, people who know each other are there to cook meals, they're there to help look after children. You know, people uh, who've mentioned to me, oh, you know, somebody's given us uh, some money to help us out. We, we are doing it tough. Somebody's given us a gift. Do you know who it was? Because I want to thank them. It's like, I don't know who it was. But it's an amazing act of generosity. The generosity that's practiced in here, I, I just find is really encouraging. Uh, we can always do better, but it's, it's like, you know you're in the family of God when you see that sort of love being practiced out. I mean, I know for us, being an ex-mechanic, uh, we went on holiday last year and clocked up 10,000 kilometres driving around Northern Territory. Somebody lent us their four-wheel drive to do that. 10,000 kilometres on their car. That was very generous to us. And we were amazed. Who does that sort of stuff? But it's that acts of generosity that uh, make it happen. It's because Jesus loved us. We put that love into practice. Now, I just want to spend a moment on some of the things that stop that from happening. Because it's nice to talk about all these acts of love and all the good things that are already happening, but there's things that stop us from doing it even more, that we don't put this love into practice that John is talking about. The first one, I've just got four, money is our God. That if money is our God, it's not so much about the relationships and building others up, but it's what do I get out of it? How's it going to benefit me financially? If money's my God, how am I going to benefit out of this financially? So are we using our friends to make money or are we using our money to make friends is the big difference. See, God has given us money. We can bless others uh, with, that, with the stuff we've got to make friends. 
I was part of a church years ago, not this church, part of a church years ago, uh, that it got known in our church community that this particular couple were inviting everybody around to their house in pairs. And I thought, this is nice. Hospitality is a great way to show love. That they invite a couple to their house, they sit them down over a lovely dinner. Hey, it's great to get to know you. By the way, let us tell you about a business we've just gone into. It's called Amway. <laughs> It kind of shoots the whole thing down. They're using the church to expand their network of friends to build the kingdom. So if, God's, if money is your God, you're going to be seeing church networking, in a sense, very differently. What about we struggle with the idea of generosity and grace? That the idea of you can just give something without anything in return, that you can just hand it over and not expect anything to come back to you. It's, it's a radical concept. It's a big concept. In our house, uh, we sponsor a, a sponsor child through Compassion. And I know at the end of the financial year, they send me a letter to tell us how much that we've paid to sponsor this child. It costs about $650 a year to sponsor a child uh, to help them out. And they send you a letter with that statement so you could, it's tax deductible. I've noticed in my own heart, almost every time I've opened that letter and gone... We spent $650 over the year. Man, how I could use that $650 now. Man, what could I spend that on? That would help out with this, this and this. Now just, just for a second, I, I, my, that's where my heart is. I've got to be honest with you. To go, that's a lot of money just to, to hand out. But then I read on and get, they say, oh, thank you, because this has supported uh, this child in this way, it's helped this family in this way, it's helped this village in this way. And all of a sudden, when you see the big difference my $650 makes, instead of being hurt that it's, it's hurt me to give that $650, now all of a sudden I'm thinking, it hurts me that I can't give another $650. It hurts me that I can't be more generous. That's the sort of generosity that Jesus is giving. He gives us everything. And he gives us more than we ever want, more than we ever need. It's not like, oh, this is enough for him. I'll hold back a little bit for me. He gives us it all. So we struggle sometimes with the idea of just giving and giving generously. We make generosity all about us. You know, what credit do I get? If I'm going to cook a meal, if I'm going to donate some money, if I'm going to help somebody, surely, you know, I'm going to get a thank you card, a bunch of flowers, I'm going to get thanked from up the front or recognised in church. What sort of recognition am I going to get out of it? What's, how's it going to benefit me? That's often a trap too. I've given myself, I've given so much and I get nothing back. That's a bit rough. But that's not what love is. Particularly uh, the love that is uh, sacrificial love that Jesus gives us, he sacrificed himself for us. What does he get back? He gets a bunch of sinners into his kingdom. But it's like, he gives it all. And the last one. Here we go. That we're uncomfortable with community. This sort of comes at it from the other angle. If we're meant to be a community that loves each other, not just with words, but with deeds, we've got to know each other and know community, and know how we can help each other, and know how we can put that love into action. So often it's very easy for us to be, feel very private. I don't want everybody to know what's going on in my life. I don't want people to know my issues. So I'm not going to tell people. I'm just going to get through life myself. I'm going to brave it out, tough it out. That's my attitude. And it's actually not what community is about. That we need to get over our pride 
because that's what it is. Our pride that's stopping other people from helping us and do, on, do this journey together. But we need to put that aside so we can be the community that love and does acts of service. We can't help each other if we don't know the needs of each other. So we need to be that community that John is talking about, this community of God's family. We're in this family, in, this, in God's family, in the light, that we do want to act and love and serve each other. But we need to know each other's needs. So we need to do community well. And that's the sort of church we want to be at Southside. We want to not only talk about Jesus, we want people to know Jesus, but we want people to experience Jesus. This is what the difference that Jesus has done in my life. He's been generous to me. He's loved me. Let me share that with you. This is what a church family does, what it looks like. It's very different to the world again. We can say we want one foot in the family, one foot in the light, one foot in the world because I like my stuff and I like sharing things and doing things my way with my stuff. I don't want to share my stuff. John says you can't have both. What kingdom are you in? In the world or in God's kingdom? Because we do that as a family and we experience that love together. What about the relationship with God? Where he says this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence wherever our hearts, whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is a greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So this is what I love about John. He's not just saying, you're a Christian. If you believe in Jesus, you're in the light, you're in the kingdom, now grow up and act like it. He doesn't say that. He knows yeah, in the church family, there's lots of people at different stages of life, different parts of their journey, going through different wrestles, even if you're a person that often feels condemned by your own heart. Now, are you good enough? You'll never be good enough for God. You'll never be good enough to get your way to heaven. You're never loving the way the Bible talks about loving. People are always rejecting you. You're never going to fit in. Yeah, there's always doubt. This is Satan's job, right? John's going to talk about Satan more a bit later on. We heard it earlier on in this, uh, this little passage about the work of Satan. He, he's always trying to condemn us. He's always trying to tell us we don't fit, we don't belong, therefore we're unworthy. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying. You do fit, you do belong, you are worthy because of Jesus. So, but John's saying, look, I know some, some of us struggle with feeling condemned and we condemn ourselves that we're never going to make it. We're always struggling, we're always doubting. But John sets up this picture. He says, you know you belong to truth and how you find rest in his presence. He's saying, if you're living a life and you're condemning yourself that you're never good enough, he says, you're living in the darkness and you're not living in the light on God's side where you will find this fellowship with God that we've been invited to, this place of rest, rest in God's presence that we're living with God, we're dwelling with him, we have this relationship, this intimate relationship with him. So it's nice language. If you've got something stopping you from the intimacy of this rest in God's presence, don't, don't listen to the Satan. He says, God knows what's going on in your heart. God knows Satan's fighting you to, to pull you away. He's testing your faith. God knows all that stuff, what he's going on. Believe in Jesus, because Jesus is the one who's going to get you there. See, this, this whole relationship with God and experiencing God's love is shutting Satan out, shutting the world out, the world of darkness, and living in God's presence, drawing near to him through his word uh, and having, finding rest in his presence. 
This picture, I should say, this last little section that we're, we're just looking at, it's kind of, it's interesting how you can read it because John is, I mentioned last week, he comes from Greek background, he writes very uh, kind of philosophically, the Greeks did in that day. Uh, and as we read this, we can read this sort of stuff, particularly as we go to the next section, when he just sort of outlines what does it look like to, to rest in God's presence or live in his presence. There's ways of reading this which is like, if you're like me, a bit of an engineer, I like instructions, you know, you buy your Ikea, uh, you get your instruction book, you, you pull out, you follow step by step, this is what I've got to do to get this result. You know, th- these are the it's progr- steps of progression. But there's another way of reading, which is more John style. If you've been doing the Bible readings during the week, this could be helpful as well. It's a bit more like, here's the big picture. Here's the, it's not do this, 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 and then you'll equal this, like an instruction book. It's a bit like, here's a nice big bit of artwork. And you can't just take one bit out, one bit out, one out, isn't that bit nice or that bit nice. You sort of stand back and you look at the whole picture. And you what it looks... What it, you know, it's awesome when you stand back and look at the whole picture and how all the bits fit together, all the colours match and the contrast and things like that. This is helpful, just understanding particularly these last few verses. He says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, uh, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is, his, uh, this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know by the Spirit he gave us. Now, it's easy to read this and go, wow, if this is the life of the Christian, what have I got to do? You know what? Uh, don't, don't let my heart condemn me, but have confidence before God. Okay, stop doubting. Have confidence before God. Um, and he'll we'll receive anything we ask of him. How awesome is that? That you know, what would you ask God for? Better job, better house, better car, better whatever. You know, wouldn't it be nice? Dream big. What would you want? If we do this stuff, God will give us whatever we ask. What have we got to do to get that? Oh, he does it because we obey him, we do what pleases him, uh, and that is believe in Jesus, and we love one another as he commanded us. Yeah, all this to-do list, and he's going to give us the end result. One step, two step, three step. I've followed my key instructions. Bang, I've got the end result. I'm a happy man because God's going to give me whatever I want. That's not how you read it. I want you to read it as a picture, and it's a beautiful picture. If our hearts do not condemn us, which he's already just talked about, Chase Satan away, get rid of Satan's uh, doubt, but no, because of Jesus we're saved. We have confidence before God. So it builds up this picture of like a father and child. You know, father usually, you know, rules a roost. I shouldn't say that on Mother's Day because I know it's wrong, uh, but we like to think fathers rule the roost. Uh, you know, come to me if you want something, I've got the wallet, and you know, that's what dads are for, right? So, but sometimes you're afraid to go before your dad. He's going, no, no, as a child of God, you have confidence to come before your dad. You have confidence to receive from anything that we ask of him. Why would he do that? Because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. All of a sudden, it's talking about a relationship, isn't it? It's not if you do this, I'll give you that. 
But now we're in this place of rest in his presence. We're before our Father God. He's going to bless us with whatever we desire. But we obey his commands with what please him. So what sort of things do we desire? What sort of things are we going to ask for? See, if we've got this relationship with him, we're going to ask for things that please him. Because that's where our heart is. This relationship, this living in his presence, resting in his presence. And this is uh, his command. This is how we live out. That we believe in the name of Jesus, his son. And we love one another as he commands us. It's not a to-do list now. It's, it's living in the light. It's living in his presence. We're obeying him. We're loving him. We're loving others. Those who obey this and live in him and he in them, more this intertwined relationship, I'm in him, him in, uh, he's in me, I'm in him. And this is how we know that he lives us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Again, he's going to sprinkle these bits of spirit along. The spirit's not left out of this relationship at all. Where the father, the son, the spirit is in it. And it's all this relationship. It's this picture. You can't have one you know, I'm obedient, but I don't love others, therefore I'm not going to get what I... No, it's this one picture. This is what it looks like to live in the presence of God, to rest in his presence, that we're near him. And he loves us through, through uh, Jesus' invitation in bringing us in. See, we read it uh, as, as a picture, and that's, that's where we're at. And it's not just a picture of what heaven's going to look like. But John's saying, this is what it looks like to live on earth. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Make sure you're showing God's love to your brothers and sisters. And make sure you're drawing near to God and live in his kingdom and his presence. And that's going to be an awesome place to be, beloved. Now, it doesn't mean that life's going to be rosy, because he's already said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. You know, the world will be rocky. But you know you're in his presence. Again, he's saying, which kingdom are you in? Are you experiencing this kind of love of God that you say, no, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna turn my back on the world and start living for God and his kingdom? Doesn't mean, it means I just believe in Jesus, but now I'm in the kingdom, I'm gonna live the way Jesus has, has led me and taught me, and I'm gonna enjoy that, that life that he has. It's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be a life eternal as well. We keep that in mind. We're gonna celebrate Lord's Supper uh, in just a few moments, and that's where we... Um, Ask the question of ourselves in our own heart. Are we taking Jesus seriously? What kingdom are we living for? Because if I'm living for my own kingdom under my own strength and I don't need Jesus, we're kind of like you're on, on the dark side in the world. And, and, Paul, and John's saying, you need to think that through because ultimately you're going to be disappointed and you're going to be judged for that. But if you're in the light, in God's kingdom, in trusting Jesus, it doesn't mean you're a superman with superpowers. But in our weakness, in our brokenness, even in our sin, because we fail, because of what Jesus has done, we need the cross. And when we realise we need the cross to live in God's kingdom because we can't get there ourselves, that's why we need the table. The table uh, just reminds us what Jesus did on the cross, that he gave himself, that he, he gave his body, he shed his blood so he would be sacrificed, so we could have the life. Um, that guy, uh, Mossum, when he died, uh, his friend that, that ran off uh, and wasn't shot testified to the media about him and his faith. 
So it's incredible just to get a tattoo and just put it on your wrist and say, hey, I'm a Christian, that's pretty cool. But what was said of him? Uh, he said to the, his friend, said of him in the media, from early childhood, he loved the church and he was a man of prayer and worship. He didn't renounce the faith and, he did, and didn't deny his Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't fear death. Actually, he didn't die, but has won the real life in heaven, enjoy, enjoying being with Jesus. It's a great testimony to the way he lived his life. His 27 young man said, yes, I believe in Jesus and was rejected by the world. Now, to be a Christian, I'm not saying you have to be, your life has to look like a superhero like that. But it also points us to, to this is how radical it is to live in light of Jesus, to live in that kingdom. The world might hate you. You might be rejected. But we're called to continue to love, love God and love each other. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the way Jesus did come into our darkness, that he was rejected for us, but he came as a rescuer. He was the superhero to come to take us back into the light. Jesus explained his death to his disciples the night before he went to the cross. And he sat down with them and he says, look, tomorrow I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be charged and they will kill me. And he held up a bit of, over a meal table, held up a bit of bread and he says, this is my body which is given for you. And he broke the bread. It's very graphic. It's not like this is my, you know, have something to eat. But he actually broke it. My body's going to be broken for you. I've entered the world to reach out to you in love. And now the world's rejecting me. So you can hear that love. He held up the cup and says, this is the cup of the new covenant shed in my blood, which is given for you. See, as we drink it, we drink life. This is what Jesus has done for us through the cross. Not because we deserve it, not because we're, we're great heroes of the faith, but because we trust in Jesus. So I'm asking you today, if you trust in Jesus... Whether you think you're doing great, whether you think you're, you're just hopeless at this sort of stuff. This whole talk about love and community is really confronting. But we need Jesus. Come and share this meal with us. Grab a piece of bread. Grab the juice. If you're here today and not sure about Jesus and how he fits into your life, thank you for being with us. Thank you for being a part of what we've been talking about this morning. But feel free just to let this pass by. This is for believers. If you want to stand in the kingdom of light, if you want to cling to the cross, take the bread and the juice. Uh, but if that's not you today, feel free. Let that pass. Just think about what we're doing. So I'm going to, give you, I'm going to pray and then give you a few moments to, if that's you, to come forward, uh, grab your juice, grab your bread, uh, take your seat. Um, we're going to wait till everybody's being served. We're going to eat and drink together because that's what families do. Uh, please let me pray and then uh, come forward and grab that dear father we do thank you for your great love for us that we can't do anything without you 
But even in our attempts of love, we tend to muck it up, we tend to be self-centred, we feed our own pride. But Lord, when we look at the love you gave us, that sacrificial love that cost you your son, that you sent Jesus, that you weren't going to take that cut from him because you knew we needed that salvation message of him going to the cross. Lord, we thank you that we can sit here today and have the assurance that we are in your kingdom, that you have dealt with our sins, that you do give us life and that you have invited us to come into your presence, to rest in your presence. And Lord, if that's what we want today, that we would come forward and take the bread and juice and stand up and say, yes, I cling to the cross for my salvation, for true life. Lord, I want to draw near to you. Lord, if that's us today, bring us on that journey. Lord, if we're here today and we're not sure about Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would reveal him to us, that amazing love, whatever we're searching for, whatever we're dealing through in life. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and that we can see that you are the difference, not just a little difference, but a radically different uh, place when we follow you. And Lord, we pray for, for anybody here that's in that situation today that you'd answer their prayers as well. But Lord, we just thank you for your amazing love and your amazing grace and that we can celebrate it together as a church family with this Lord's Supper. Amen.